Week number three. I'll reluctantly call this the final week of the sermon series. And I want to talk about the physical descriptions that Luke gives about Jesus in the garden. Most of what we talked about now has been spiritual, emotional, the agony, the inward agony that he experienced in the garden. Not only did he experience inward agony and pain, he also experienced it outwardly. He was experiencing so much on the inside that it began to manifest itself on the outside. Have you ever felt like that in your own life? That the enemy is attacking from every side. No matter how much you try to hide the hurt. No matter how much you try to hide the pain. The grief. People just seem to notice that something is not right. Christ experienced this in the garden. He began to show outward signs of stress and emotional despair while he was there. Of course, all of this would culminate in the coming days as he would go to the cross and he would be crucified because of someone else's wrongdoing. My wrongdoing, your wrongdoing, your shortcomings, the fall of man, the fall of humanity. He would take all of that to the cross so that we might be saved. Luke 22, 39. I don't know how far I go with it here. I have in my notes uh, through 44. I want to read it to you again. And I want to draw out part of this scripture. We've been all over this scripture for the last couple of weeks. I want to focus in on just one part. But I want to read the whole thing to you. Jesus went out as usual. I like that word there. That means this wasn't his first time. He went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. That'll preach by itself right there. His disciples followed him. If you watched on the uh, internet this week on, on our Facebook page, you saw that I, that I uh, was in the book of, I believe it's Matthew um, chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, when I said, at once they dropped their nets and followed him. Right here it says, they followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, it might say in some of your interpretations. He withdrew about a stone's throw away. That means he left him back in the back a little bit, said, I got to get a little bit further up here so I can pray on my own. He knelt down and he prayed. Uh, Father, if you are willing, here it is, if you're willing, if it's your will, if you desire. How many of us need to pray like that? Not come with our list, but Father, hey, if you desire. Oh, that changes up the whole rest of the prayer now. We usually come with the laundry list. We need to come with, Lord, I'm coming to you in the first place. I'm going to start it out like this. For those of you, when I say like this, that means like this. So now, Father, if you are willing, if it is your desire, take this cup from me. The cup of wrath, the cup of sin. Yet not my desires, but yours be done. For those of you that don't know, red letters are the letters of Jesus. I know some of you are like, come on, man. Everybody knows that. No, they don't. Preaching 101. Assume your audience knows zero. Next verse. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. We just talked about that. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Boy, oh boy. This is preaching by itself, y'all. Some of y'all in anguish and you need to do just right there this week. He prayed more earnestly. 
Take that nugget with you for the next seven days. And his sweat, here's what I want to focus in on. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I don't know if I have any else in there, but you, in any more verses, you could stop there. Sweat like drops of blood. Luke, who's the author of this book, and this particular verse of scripture, he's known to be a physician. And he writes that Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So it kind of gives some credibility to what he saw physically with Jesus according to him being a physician. So this not only means was it like blood, but it was lots of it. There, were, there was a lot of it. It was dropping to the ground. Enough sweat to drop to the ground. I know some of y'all ain't sweat like that in a while. But I sweat when I cut that grass and weed eat and do all that stuff outside. I discovered a couple weeks ago, I told Jen, I said, man, I lose two pounds when I cut the grass. I'm telling you right now, I lose two pounds of fluid. I got drops of sweat falling to the ground. How do you know? Look, because I've been watching what I eat, and I weighed myself before I went out there. So I could feel good about myself when I came back in. And I lose about two pounds when I cut my grass. Because I sweat drops. A lot of it. Give you an idea of how much Jesus was sweating in the garden. There's been a lot of theological debates for years as to whether or not his sweat was actually blood or like blood. It's a big debate. Because the verse of scripture says, like drops of blood. They tell me, however, that there is a medical condition that exists that produces the symptoms described here and could explain Luke's mention of blood. I'll butcher the medical term and I'll call it hematidrosis. It's a rare but very real medical condition that causes one's sweat to contain blood. Sweat glands are surrounded by tiny blood vessels that can constrict then dilate to the point of rupture, causing blood to effuse into sweat glands. And the cause of this is, this is the medical term, extreme anguish. That's what causes this. So now if we go back to Luke twenty-two forty-four, the verse that we just had up there, you don't have to go if the media team's trying to, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Matthew 26, 38 also describes Jesus' amount of stress. He felt overwhelmed. He said, my soul, not my body, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood. Regardless of which side of the fence you decide to stand on with this debate, it's usually agreeable that Jesus was experiencing a great amount of anguish and despair in this garden for me and for you. You can see why he wanted the cup to pass. Still praying. If it's your desire. But then he pressed on. We know Jesus, he was hurting bad in the garden. I recently heard the Bible verse referring to drops of blood. And it's what initially uh, 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 kind of brought on this whole sermon series. It doesn't take much 
for the Spirit to uh, drop something into a preacher's spirit and make it into a sermon series. Just in case y'all were wondering. It doesn't take much. I got a hair trigger when it comes to the Spirit showing me stuff. So when I heard drops of blood, or when I thought about it, it was on the heels of a term that I heard recently in the last few weeks called compassion fatigue. I thought to myself, man, that sounds a lot like Christians. Compassion fatigue. And then I thought, well, if Jesus experienced all that I've experienced, then not only does it sound like sometimes what we experience as Christians here today, Jesus had to experience compassion fatigue, spiritual compassion fatigue, while on earth. And I said, wow. That's a when he was in the garden, said that his sweat was as drops of blood. I say that's a pretty good amount of anguish and despair to bring on spiritual compassion fatigue. I had never heard the term before, so I decided to look it up and educate myself a bit about this compassion fatigue. The spiritual compassion fatigue, God gave that to me. I probably ought to write some periodicals or something on there right now and get it out there before anybody else does, unless y'all ever heard of it. But I've been researching, so you're not going to find it. Compassion fatigue has been described as this. The cost of caring for others in emotional pain. It's also known as profound and emotional physical erosion. Think about Jesus in the garden. That takes place when those who want to help are unable to refuel or regenerate. Fatigued. Compassion fatigued. So much care. So much compassion. And in this instance with Jesus, so much spiritual compassion for you and for I that he was having trouble refueling and regenerating. It's the cost of caring for others that brings about emotional pain. And for Jesus to the point that it brought about sweat that was like drops of blood. Spiritual compassion fatigue. I'm trying to teach you something here. I'm spreaching a little bit. You know, take that home, figure out what did he mean by spreaching. You'll figure it out later. When connected to spiritual things, we call it spiritual compassion fatigue. I see this happen many times with church folks. I probably should put all the time with church folks. I see it happen with church folks as it relates to their family, their loved, their loved ones, and sometimes even their church families. The super saints. I used to use that as if I'm using that for real now. I appreciate y'all super saints. Man, I used to joke about it like it wasn't no such thing as the super saints. Time, talent, treasure, and testimony. Living right, walking the walk, talking the talk. Super saints. I see it happen not only with church folks, this compassion fatigue, with family, with loved ones. I see it many times with deeply devoted church leadership. Spiritual compassion fatigue. I see it with pastors, leadership, ministers who pour all of their energy into the ministry. I see it with parishioners, with the lay folk that pour all of their energy into their family, into their loved ones, into the things that they care about, into the people that they care about. And when you pour so much of your heart 
into things that you care about and people that you care about that deeply, you can become fatigued to the point that you don't feel as if you can refuel or regenerate. Spiritual compassion fatigue. Anybody ever been there? In my own life, just when I think that I have a high level of spiritual compassion, and I believe that I do most of the time, more often than not, something happens that causes me a great amount of spiritual fatigue. Same way with you. Just when I think, even my wife, who's really the closest person to me, when she has a high level of spiritual compassion, and I believe that she does, and I put in my notes, more than me in most instances, I'm ready to cut them up. She has a little bit more compassion. But inevitably, even with those who you admire for having a better level of that than you, something can happen in life. And it can cause a great amount of spiritual compassion fatigue. Now don't confuse this with being hurt. Make no mistake about it. Jesus didn't have his feelings hurt in the garden. That's not what that was all about. Jesus was in anguish. So much so that God sent an angel to give him strength. God showed up in the garden. It's not getting your feelings hurt. You get your feelings hurt, you need to just pick it up and move on. Most of us, we probably get our feelings hurt this week sometime if we wear our feelings on our sleeves. This, this walk with Jesus is not about feelings. It's about a relationship. Spiritual compassion fatigue. Real stuff. And Jesus' case was to the point of death. Because of the bitter cup of wrath that he had to drink from because of his love for you and I. And that's probably putting it lightly. What does this look like in our everyday life as we try to walk that walk and talk the talk and live out that fully dedicated, fully devoted, fully devoted? Not a patty cake baker's man walk with God. Not a little dab of do you. Not a Burger King, I'm going to have it my way. You can't do what you want to do in this relationship. You've given your life over to Christ. You've got to drop your nets and follow. They were fishers, uh, fishermen for a living. He said, no, 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 you can't do that no more. But, but we got, we got drop the nets and follow. But you, my wife, you, you don't want drop the nets and follow. You can't do what you want to do. I can't do what I want to do. i got to do what I'm called to do. I've tried to do what I want to do. And just let me tell you, I don't sleep very well. I've been up since about, well, I'll tell you what, my little Maltese, boy, she, she, she's addicted to the dog treats. She was sniffing on me and all up on my chest, trying to get me out of bed about 3.30 this morning, wanting a treat. My wife was experiencing spiritual compassion fatigue. She said, I'm going to take this dog to the, to the yard. She is not getting the treat. So I got out the bed and gave her to treat at 4.45. That's training for when I have this grandbaby coming up and they get what they want to get. 
You get the ice cream, but my mom said I can't. This just between me and you. It's just between me and you. Don't say nothing to your mom. Let's get that chocolate off your shirt so she don't know. Trust me. Manifestations of spiritual compassion fatigue. What does this look like? Sometimes it looks like burnout. When you want to quit, you don't want to try anymore. Somebody say yes if you've been there. Sadness because you're not seeing the results of uh, 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 things in your life like you thought you would and like you thought you should. Somebody say amen to that one. Spiritual compassion fatigue might manifest itself by way of depression because of the enormity or hopelessness that some situations present in your life. The Bible counteracts that with the fact that God wants to give you a future and a hope. Sometimes spiritual compassion fatigue presents itself by way of spiritual questions. Sometimes we may question why. Sometimes we might question our calling. Sometimes we might question others' behaviors and so much more. Spiritual compassion fatigue can lead to envy. It can lead to jealousy. It can lead to hate. And it can just lead to flat out sin. The devil done got a hold of me so hard that I'm about to just start sinning. It all boils down to the enemy gaining ground in the spiritual battle taking place in the spiritual realm when you are experiencing spiritual compassion fatigue. It's what Jesus went through in the garden. It says it. He was anguished. He was fatigued. He was tired. He had a choice. He could have walked away. When he was, once he made it to the cross, there wasn't no choice left. He's on the cross. He can't come down in the flesh. When I'm talking about the power of God and all of that, he had to see this plan of salvation through. Well, my Bible thumpers out there. I'm not talking about Pastor Scott said this or that. So now, manifestations in our life. How about responding to all of this now? When we have it in our life, how do we respond to this thing that happens all the time? There's a song. As I was growing up in church. That we used to sing. And it was called. I went to the enemy's camp. And I took back what he stole from me. He cannot have my calling. He cannot have my family. He cannot have my blessings. He cannot have my joy. When he thinks he's gaining ground, I will march my butt back into the enemy's camp and I will take back what he thinks belongs to him. It's time for the child of God to march in with authority and with power into the enemy's camp and take back what rightfully belongs to you. The devil cannot steal my joy because the devil's not the source of my joy. He's the source, Jesus is the source of my strength. And I will follow him. Psalms 30 and 5 says, Weeping may last through the night. Spiritual compassion fatigue. Hurting, anguished, undone, lost, 
afraid, questioning, mad, bitter, jealous, depressed, anxiety. Weeping may last through the night. But joy comes in the morning. I will enter back into the enemy's camp. And I will take back the joy of God that rightly belongs to me. The enemy wants to deceive you and make you think that he's got you captive in the first place. But the God that I serve is greater in me than the one that wants to steal my joy. Weeping may last through the night. Anybody ever felt like you've had a long dark night? I'm not talking about the 6 to 12 hours that the sun is down and the moon is out. I'm not talking about dark time. I'm talking about those long dark Nights, those spiritual long dark nights in your walk with God. Some of you might be experiencing a long dark night. I'm not sure how long your night has been. Could be a day, could be five days, could be five years. It could seem like it's been most of your lifetime. Long dark night, can't sleep, can't get your mind off of it. If there's any part of this sermon that I feel like today is directly from the throne room of God, I want you to know today that although your night may have been long, the Spirit of God is telling me to tell you that it's almost over. Hallelujah. It's almost over. You've got to hold on. Joy comes in the morning. God is about to show up in your life and bring you through the fire once again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If he did it before, he'll do it again. He will bring you through the fire once again. In an instant. Doesn't matter what the world may say. Doesn't matter how long you've been hurting. Doesn't matter how long this night in your life may be. In an instant. Just like he showed up in the fire for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar, for those of you that don't know the story, anybody who wouldn't bow down to his idol was told to be thrown in the fire. So the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they show up, and they puff the chest out, and they say, Look, man, I know what you said. I'm not bowing down to this. I serve a God that's greater. The Bible says that I shall not put any God before the great God, Jehovah God, the Creator, the one that made the one that's trying to get me to bow down. So they go back, and they tell Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, All right, then, 
Go ahead and tell them, man, turn the, turn the furnace up seven times hotter. We're going to scorch them up. So they turned the fire up seven times hotter. And the Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Look, man, it doesn't even matter if God doesn't rescue us. I'm still not going to bow. The God we serve will rescue us. And even if he doesn't, I still will not bow. So they threw him in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar came. Shad- Wait, whoa, whoa. Turn the fire down. I thought you said, you said it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, we did. Look, I see a fourth man in the fire. I know it's been a long, dark night for you. I know you've had trouble, and you might be in the fire, but if you look around on your left and your right, behind and in the front of you, like the Bible says, there's another person with you in the fire today. The fire did not burn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Actually, the Son of God joined them, and they had a Holy Ghost showdown inside the fiery furnace. Joy will come in the morning. You've got to hold on. You might be tossing and turning through this long dark night. And you haven't been able to get any rest. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lean on the arms of Jesus. Stop looking in the wrong places and bring your burdens to Jesus. It's time for the church to march back into the enemy's camp and take back what belongs to us. It's time for the church to take our families back. It's time for the church to take our marriages back. It's time for the church to take our children back and lead them in the ways of Christ. The Bible says if we lead them in that way, when they grow old, they will not depart from the way by which they've been taught to follow Jesus. My family's at church today because that's what we do. That's just what we do. And I ain't mad at you if your family ain't here today. I'm not saying that for that. I'm just telling you what we do. Musicians, if you guys want to come to the...